The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys doing good? Hey, give it up for our worship team. Don't they do a great job leading us every week? They do a great job leading us every week. Well, while they're exiting the stage, let me take just a moment. Um, by the way, my name is Matt, if you're new here this morning, um, and I'm excited to be able to teach from the scriptures like we do every single Sunday. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and open it up, turn it on, turn it to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be there this morning. Before we get there, let me just say a quick word about our Discover Story City class this weekend. I know Shane just said a word about it. <clears throat> this is our, our introduction to what we call partnership. And some of you guys have asked, what is partnership about? Um, is, are, am I joining a club? What am I doing? And the answer to that is no, you're not joining a club. If it's a club, I'm out myself. Partnership is an opportunity for us to engage as a family, for us to identify who's in our family, who's in the river of discipleship with us. As our church grows, our church has been growing tremendously over the last couple years. As our church grows, um, there are only so many things we can accomplish as a church and as a staff. Sometimes people email in and they ask, can you do marriage counseling for us? Do you have time to do some counseling with us? Can you do this? Can we do that? And so partnership is our opportunity to say who's in our family. It allows us to prioritize family. And uh, if you want to know what does Story City believe, if you want to know what is Story City's philosophy of care, how do we care for one another, if you want to know why we do what we do, how we accomplish the mission in our city, who is our staff, all kinds of things, uh, Discover Story City is for you. And our first one is this weekend, and we meet at 10 a.m. at uh, 320 East Angelino. It's our ministry center um, here in downtown Burbank, and it's at 10 a.m. If you have kids, we also have child care. So the way you sign up, we need you to RSVP for that, storycitychurch.com forward slash partnership. All right, that's my pitch. That's my announcement for partnership. Um, I want to see you guys there this Saturday. It's going to be really, really good. Now, Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26 this morning. If you're new today, you walked into the fifth week of a series we have called Mission 555. And in essence, what we've done in this series is we've said we want to take a look at all of our lives, our existing lives. We're not looking to add anything to it. We want to look at our existing lives and try to understand how can we live those existing lives intentionally so that other people around us may know about Jesus. And so we use this idea and this language of five, 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 five people and five networks and five opportunities. And so the second week we talked about praying for people. We talked about serving people. Um, we talked about inviting people. And then today we're going to focus on this opportunity we call <clears throat> giving gospel-centered literature to people. Um, and so I want you to take a deep breath. We're not passing out tracts. If you've been around church for a long time, uh, I think it's going to be really, really good for us today. And then next week, we're going to finish up. You're going to hear from um, one of our pastoral interns, Marco. He's going to share a little bit during the sermon next week. It's going to be really, really good. And we'll finish up next week. But today, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, we're going to look at this passage here this morning. I want to preach a message titled, Please Tell Me. Please tell me, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, let me give you a little commentary before we jump into the passage this morning. Acts chapter 8 is not actually about giving away books, by the way. <laughs> uh, nowhere in scripture do we see anything about giving away books, but Acts chapter 8 is, the context here is about divine encounters. 
It's about people needing to understand about Jesus. And so earlier in Acts chapter 8, what we see is there's an awakening happening in this area called Samaria. It's actually the fulfillment of Acts chapter eight, verse, I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And so there's an awakening happening. Large crowds are coming. People are coming to faith in Jesus. There's this guy named Philip who's involved in this awakening. And in the midst of the awakening, Peter and John, two of the apostles, are called in, and they're asked to come in and verify and validate what's happening in this awakening. And in the midst of what God was doing in Samaria, God then compels this guy named Philip to move on. Do I need to change microphones here? God compels this guy, Philip, to move on to another encounter with the gospel. Now, let's pick up the story in verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then there's this parenthetical statement here. This is a desert road. The writer here adds this concept of the desert road, meaning a deserted place. This, this place called Gaza was sort of the last stop before you got to the desert, sort of like Hesperia before you get into the desert. It's this place that was far away. Gaza was this old, out-of-the-way, nasty town. It was also a Philistine town. The Philistines, if you know the Old Testament, the Philistines were enemies of the Israelites. The bottom line is God is calling this guy, Philip, to leave Samaria where he's doing an incredible work. And he tells Philip to move from where you are to Gaza. Gaza would be this uncomfortable town for any Jew. It's a place where the Philistines lived. On top of that, it would be a place that was really out of the way. Philip would have had to have walked 165 miles just to get to Gaza. Sometimes we complain. I'll be the first to admit, I don't like layovers from here to there. If i got to get to the other side of the country, we get to heaven, Philip's going to be like, you can just shut up because I walked 165 miles to Gaza. So this is this out-of-the-way, dirty, nasty town. And Philip is on his way to Gaza. And it's worth mentioning here that Philip has very few instructions from God about what he's supposed to be doing, about what God's asked him to do and why he's asked him to go to Gaza. In other words, uh, God, what do I do when I get there? Don't worry, you'll find out. God, what am I supposed to say? I'll give you the words. God, who am I supposed to talk to? You'll see. And so God just plainly gives Philip instructions. Go to Gaza. Now look how Philip responds in verse 27. Verse 27, so Philip got up. This is so good. This is the essence of the Christian life, by the way. Philip heard God, and then Philip obeyed God. That's the essence of the Christian life. It says in verse 27, so he got up, and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, by the way. A eunuch was, uh, this guy was a very important official in the uh, court of, uh, in this African court, it says, a court official of Candace, that was not her name, that was her title, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasures. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, just a little background on this Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch was a person who, in this context, was castrated because he was in the court of the queen, and they didn't want somebody in the court of the queen who could potentially impregnate the queen. Now, if you need more instructions on that, you can ask Pastor Tyler whenever he gets back next week, all right? So this Ethiopian eunuch, he's this high, powerful official 
in Africa, and he's in charge of the treasury in Africa, everything south of the Nile River down in Africa, this very important official. And so before I even get into that, listen, verse 27 starts out, it says, so he got up and he went. I want you to understand something. As we talk about living missionally, I want to talk about as we begin to think about how do we evaluate our existing lives and live them intentionally so other people might know about Jesus. Can I give you just a very quick principle that's so important in living missionally? Half of evangelism is just showing up. (laughs) Philip made himself available. Philip heard from God, and he just showed up. Last week, we saw this group of religious leaders, if you happen to be here for our third birthday. We saw this group of religious leaders who, uh, the scripture said, they hated Jesus and they looked for an opportunity to kill him. I wonder this morning, another great question for us as we're evaluating how we're living our lives intentionally, do we kill the opportunity to be available to God for other people? More on that in just a minute. And so here we find this Ethiopian eunuch. He's this powerful official. He's a treasure of the entire region, everything south of the Nile River in Africa, a very powerful man. And the end of verse 27 says, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Very important here. This guy was curious. This guy's curious about the God of the Jews. Verse 27 tells us here that he'd been to Jerusalem. Why? Because he had questions. He had questions about this God. He was, you could sort of say, he was seeking. Now, maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're asking some of the profound questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? What happens to me after death? Can I say to you this morning, it's good to have questions. And the fact that you may be here this morning having questions about God is an indication of God's grace towards you. It's also an indication here in the passage that God is beginning to work salvation in the life of this Ethiopian. The fact that you're here this morning and you may also have questions may be an indication that God may be working salvation in your life too. Do you know today God is working salvation all over the world? God's working salvation in people today, um, in your neighbors. God's working salvation today um, from somebody in your work. God's working salvation today with somebody in a hospital. God may be right now possibly working salvation with someone in this auditorium this morning. And so in Ethiopia, we've got this eunuch. And in Ethiopia, it's actually not technically uh, Ethiopia that we know today. It's a region of Africa. And in this region of Africa, by the way, there were no known converts at this time. In Ethiopia, they worship things like the sun. They worship things like animals. And maybe this guy got to a point in his life where he thought, you know what, those are good things. But there's got to be more to life than that. Maybe he thought, those things are wonderful things, but they cannot be the source of everything. According to the book of Romans chapter 1, the scripture tells us that God has put in all of us this sense of the divine. There's this innate sense in all of us that tells every single one of us that there is a God even when we may not know who he is, even when we may not know his name. And sometimes people don't know what to do with that innate sense of God being in them. Sometimes people don't know what to do, but they yearn for it. If you know the story, I've told it before, of Jim Elliott and the missionaries to Ecuador. 
when they were killed on the shore of the river there in Ecuador, Jim Elliott and several other missionaries. After their death, Jim Elliott's wife moved into the village where the Alka Indians were who killed her husband along with other missionaries. And there's a quote from those Alka Indians. None of them knew Jesus. As she moves in to share the gospel, they eventually said, after the almost the entire tribe came to faith in Jesus, they said, you talk as if we never heard of this God until you got here. <laughs> then they said, we knew something was there, and he was displeased with how we were living. Here in the book of Acts chapter 8, we see an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's acting He's acting on the Holy Spirit of God, prompting him. He's going to Jerusalem to learn about God. Now look at what he's doing in verse 28. Look at what he's doing in verse 28. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Ethiopian eunuch here is reading a scroll of the book of Isaiah. We don't know where he got this book of Isaiah. Maybe he had come. Maybe he went to Jerusalem for a conference. Maybe he went to Jerusalem for a conference. And on the way out of the conference, they said, hey, on your way out, there's a book in the back. Just grab it and try to read it on your way home. We have no idea where this Ethiopian eunuch got a copy of the book of Isaiah. We do know this. There wasn't a Christian bookstore on every corner. He couldn't Amazon Prime the book of Isaiah to his chariot. We know that somebody had to have given him a book of Isaiah. We don't know exactly how he got the book of Isaiah, but listen, we do know this. The scroll that he's reading that's in his hand is placed there by divine sovereignty. Why? Because of what we're about to read here in verse 29. Verse 29 says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, now, this is going back to Philip again. The Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. How did the Spirit say that to Philip? Have you ever wondered that? You read the book of Acts, and you see the Spirit of God active and speaking, and you're like, how did the Spirit of God do that? How did the Spirit of God say that? The answer is we don't really know. <laughs> but what we do know is that in the book of Acts, it mentions the Holy Spirit 59 times, 40 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned as speaking. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, one of my favorite passages in all of the book of Acts, says this, the Holy Spirit said, separate for me Barnabas and Paul for ministry. Now let me just step out of that for a moment. Let me step out of that for a moment. Can I just ask you a question this morning if you know the Lord Jesus? Do you know and walk with the Holy Spirit this way? Do you know and walk with the Holy Spirit this way? Does the Holy Spirit of God speak to you? Sometimes in the book of Acts, it's through a word of prophecy from somebody. Sometimes in the book of Acts, it's, it's this divine vision. Sometimes in the book of Acts, um, it's sort of, it's unexplainable, but it's this yearning that God puts into your heart. Can I ask you another question this morning? Are you aware of the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you? Think about it for a moment. When was the last time you had a sense that God is sending you to a place, calling you to say something to somebody? Are you listening to the Spirit of God? What if God's been speaking? But we haven't been listening. Can I ask you another question this morning? Do you daily pray, God, I'm available today. Use me. Do you wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm going to that place of work that I really don't like, but I'm available today. Use me. 
God, I'm going here today. Use me. Do you daily pray? God, I'm available. Will you use me? I dare you to pray that, by the way. I dare you to pray and ask God to use you. Now read verse 30 with me. Philip ran up, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you were reading? This is great, by the way. His questions are so important in evangelism. Do you understand what you were reading? And verse 31, and he said, well, how could I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, in this moment, there's a, just a moment of comedy in my mind. This chariot that he's in is being carried by four men, and the chariot's being carried on all four shoulders. And I wonder if these guys carrying the, sh- the chariot on their shoulders are thinking, are you serious? He's now picking up hitchhikers. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Anyways, Philip goes over, and he asks a question. Questions are so important in evangelism. Just step out of the moment for just a second and just think about this. Philip was previously in Samaria, large crowds, people coming to faith in Jesus. It says miracles were happening. This was so important, so, um, so catalytic in the movement of the gospel and Christianity and early Christianity that it said they called two apostles in to verify what they were seeing, what they were experiencing, how the gospel was moving. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of what God was doing, God calls Philip to leave Samaria, walk 165 miles to a dirty little town called Gaza. Why? Because he's preparing one guy. He's preparing one man. He's preparing one human, putting questions in his heart, drawing this man to himself. Maybe that's what God's been doing to some of you. Maybe that's what God is doing for some people you've been praying for and serving and inviting and sharing the gospel with. Maybe maybe that's what God is doing for some of you. Maybe God has been preparing many of you to be Philip to those people in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and God's been preparing you with questions, an expression of his grace towards you. Maybe he's been preparing you with events in your life. And maybe today I'm your Philip this weekend. Maybe God has been preparing you. Have you ever had this internal sense? Something's just not right. You ever had had, had these these moments in life where, where you're like, there's more to life than this. You get up, you go to work, you come home, you watch TV, you have friends over, you take a couple days away on vacation. It wasn't as satisfying as you think. And then you think, there's more to life I must be missing. Can I say to you this morning, that's God. It's what the Bible calls deep calling unto deep. When I was 17 years old, I had this period of life for about two or three months where I was literally going to parties Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. I would wake up on Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. I would lay in my bed. I would look at the ceiling and I would say out loud or think to myself, there's got to be more to life than this. Maybe God's been preparing you. And it was not long after that in my life at 17 that God initiated faith in my heart, in my life. I trusted Jesus with my life. And just like my experience at 17, maybe God's preparing some of you and it's not an accident. Maybe you're here today because somebody invited you. Maybe you don't realize this. Or maybe even the person that invited you doesn't realize this this morning. But God was in that invitation and he's drawing you. And so this eunuch had gone to Jerusalem. He'd gone to Jerusalem, it's interesting, to find God. I imagine what this eunuch found was religion and ritual. And if you know the Old Testament, eunuchs would have never been invited into the temple. 
They would have never been invited into these holy places. And so I imagine what the eunuch found was a lot of religion, but not a lot of God. So what happened? God came to him and sent him a messenger. <laughs> Just like the eunuch. I want to say to you this morning, there are people that God sends to guide you. And maybe this morning, that's me for you. There are people in your life that God is sending you to, to be a Philip. Maybe for those of you this morning that have been praying and serving and inviting people, you are that person for them. Have you ever considered that? That God may be using you to be Philip in their life. Now listen to what the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. Verse 32. This is what he was reading in the book of Isaiah. Now the passage of scripture, verse 32, which he was reading was this. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 53, a prophecy about Jesus made 800 years before Jesus about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what he's reading from Isaiah 53, a direct quote. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, verse 33, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading this incredibly, incredibly vivid passage about Jesus, the suffering Son of God, the Lamb of God. This, is, this passage was written 800 years before Jesus was ever on the scene. And Isaiah is here prophesying that Jesus would be like a lamb to the slaughter that Jesus would be wrongfully accused of crimes he didn't commit, that he would not even open his mouth. And you know what? If you know the New Testament, you know all of that came to pass. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, accused of crimes he did not commit. And what did Jesus do? He didn't defend himself. He sat there silent. Have you ever wondered why didn't Jesus defend himself? He was innocent. He didn't deserve the punishment that was about to be enacted on his life. Why didn't Jesus defend himself? He's fulfilling scripture. He sat there quiet. You know, in a court of law, silence is sort of this indication, sort of this admission of guilt. And so we see Jesus before Pontius Pilate, accused of crimes he didn't commit, fulfilling the scripture where he says he didn't even defend himself. He was silent. Jesus was admitting guilt. You say, hold on just a second, Pastor Matt. Jesus wasn't guilty. Scripture says in him was no sin. Those who knew him knew, never knew him to have sin in him. Those who spent the most time around him never once noticed sin in his life. How could he be admitting guilt? He was admitting guilt not for what he had done. He was admitting guilt for what we had done. He was consenting to my guilt. Jesus was consenting to being beaten and punished for my sin. Verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. This is so good. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Remember, he had just been in Jerusalem. He had met religious people and rituals. He would not have been allowed into the temple. And he's saying, I wasn't allowed into the temple there. Can I be baptized now? And Philip is saying, Absolutely. Listen to what Philip said. And Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. 
And he answered and said, I believe, this is the Ethiopian eunuch, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went, listen to this, listen to this, down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Well, just think about this for a moment. The, the eunuch throws Philip a softball. He throws him an easy question to answer. This wasn't about social, cultural issues. These weren't about difficult issues of the day. He throws him this softball question. He says, who is this scripture about? The author of the scripture or someone else? At the time, he, Philip could have engaged in this conversation. He could have been distracted by the conversation. Well, actually, there's two Isaiahs. He could have gone into to other answers. But verse 35 says, Philip then opened his mouth, and beginning from that scripture he was reading, he preached Jesus. Verse 35 tells us Philip told him about Jesus. Can I say to you this morning that sharing your faith isn't always about telling your story. It isn't always about telling about how your faith means so much to you. It isn't always about defending the Bible from external cultural issues. Can I say this to you? It's going to be on the screen. Evangelism must include telling the facts of Jesus. It's got to get to Jesus. So Philip could have been distracted here and, and taken a, in a roundabout way to talk about the book of Isaiah and who wrote it. And there's questions about whether there's one Isaiah or two Isaiahs. And he could have been distracted by the question. But you know what G, Philip did? Philip made a beeline to Jesus. He talked about Jesus. What did he talk about? He talked about Jesus being crucified. He talked about Jesus being buried. He talked about Jesus rising from the dead. Listen to me this morning, church. Salvation is so simple. You must understand, Christ took my place for my sin. And when I understand that Christ took my place for my sin, then Jesus must become my Lord. Salvation is so simple. And Philip makes a beeline to Jesus. Sometimes we wonder if I ever were given the opportunity to talk about Jesus to anyone, what would I even say? What would I even say if someone even gave, if I just happened to have an encounter like the Ethiopian, what would I even, how would I even talk about Jesus? I think, I think it's so, so simple. Salvation is so simple. Years ago, I was preaching at this conference, and uh, I had been there for a, a, a week or so, and uh, there were these girls at the conference. It was a summer camp, and I got to know these girls, and, and after the evening worship one night, um, we were in this place called the Chuck Wagon, and it was like our time as a staff to spend our alone time while churches were in their church group, and so I'm at this table at the Chuck Wagon eating chicken poppers at the table by myself there. And these three girls walk in that I'd gotten to know during the week. And there's two girls in front, one girl in the back. And there's a spokesman for the group. And she says to me, Pastor Matt, Amanda, she's got a smile on her face, grinning from here. To, Amanda would really like to talk to you. And I'm like, cool. You sit down. We'll have a conversation. This will be great. And she goes on and says, Matt, Pastor Matt, Amanda would really like to talk to you. And so this is like three or four days into camp. And I'm thinking, this is probably, forgive me, a camp crush situation. Not because it's me. It's just, I'm the camp pastor. This is a 14-year-old girl. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just sit down. And we'll have a conversation. And then she says, Pastor Matt, Amanda would like to talk to you in private. Not going to happen. You can sit down at the table. We can, I'm eating chicken poppers at the table by myself. If you'd like to have a conversation. We can talk. And so Amanda's standing in the back, and she starts to cry. And I realized it wasn't what I originally thought it was. And so I brought her over. She sat down. I brought over a female counselor. And I looked at Amanda across the table, and I said, Amanda, what's going on? 
And Amanda began to talk literally for 15 minutes, on and on and on and on. Things going home and home, things going on at home. Mom and dad separated, living with other family members. Aunt's not doing well. Things aren't going good at school. 15 minutes, on and on and on and on and on. And she stopped. And when she stopped 15 minutes in, I looked at her. I said, Amanda, can I ask you a question? Amanda, have you ever, have you ever trusted Christ for salvation? And Amanda says, well, I, a pastor came over to my house one time. I, I said these, I prayed, I, I'm not sure. I said, Amanda, would it be okay if, if we just open up some scripture together and just, and just read some, I just want you to read a couple verses. I, I'll point to it, you can read it, and just read it out loud, and then just tell me what you think. Yeah, we could do, so Amanda, Genesis chapter one, verse one, and she began to read out loud, and you probably know the verse. In the beginning, God did what? created the heavens and the earth. She began to read it out loud. Do you know what that means, Amanda? Yes, God created me. That's exactly right. You're in a happenstance, circumstance, accident. God is responsible for you. John 3.16. Amanda, John 3.16. I just want you to read this verse right here. We just read it out loud. She began to read it out loud. For God so what? Love the world. Do you know what that means, Amanda? God loves me. That's exactly right. God created you. He loves you. Romans 3.23. Though I want you to read just this verse right here. Just read this verse. She began to read the verse. For all have what? sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? Sometimes she would know what it meant. Sometimes she wouldn't know what a verse would mean. When she wouldn't know what it meant, I would just insert one sentence. Amanda, what this means is God's responsible for you. He loves you. But Romans 3.23 says there's a problem between you and God as you currently stand. Romans 6.23. Just read this verse. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. You know what that means, Amanda? means all of us are going to eventually die, and the reason for that is because of sin. But if we die and there's never a solution to our sin, the result is separation from God after death. But Romans 5.8, I want you to read this verse, Amanda. Romans 5.8, she begins to read Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his what? Love for us in this, that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. Genesis 1-1, God's responsible for you. John 3-16, God loves you. Romans 3-23, there's a problem between you and God as you currently stand called sin. Romans 6-23 says the problem of sin is never solved. The, the, the problem is you're going to die, but then you're also going to be dead from God in eternity. But God, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Amanda, God loved you so much that he demonstrated it. He provided a solution for your problem called sin. Now, just read this. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. I put my finger on it. She began to read it out loud. At this point, the tears had dried up from all the things she had been saying before. And she reads Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you not ought to be, not might be, not can be, you will be saved. At that point, Amanda, sitting across from me, she begins to cry. And I said, Amanda, what's going on? She said, Pastor Matt, I don't, I don't know that I've, I've ever understood this about God. And I simply said, Amanda, what do you want to do with it? Amanda said, I want to, I want to trust my life to Jesus. And so right there at the table, we had a moment where she spent some time praying to the Lord, admitting her guilt, her sin before God, thanking God that he died on the cross for her, asking him to save her, trusting her life to him. And when we finished praying, I turned to John chapter 1, verse 12, and she began to read John chapter 1, verse 12 out loud, that all who called on him, all who called on his name, he gave the right to become a what? A child of God. Amanda, you're a child of God today. 
Listen, Philip is confronted with this man reading the scriptures. He says, I cannot understand it unless somebody tells me. And rather than Philip saying, well, you know, culture believes this and culture says this and culture does this. Philip said, let's make a beeline directly to Jesus. He started in Isaiah 53 and he went all the way to Jesus. And then obviously the Ethiopian eunuch places his faith and trust in Jesus. And then he goes down into the water to be baptized, by the way. That's a great theological statement for us this morning. That's why we don't sprinkle people. Scripture gives us this concept of baptism being by immersion. It says they went down into the water. They came up out of the water. When we baptize people, we take them under the water to symbol the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. He comes out of the water. Why did Philip baptize him there on the spot? Not because he believed in spontaneous baptism, because this was the first African convert, and he knew when he left, there was nobody back in Africa to baptize him. And so he baptizes him, and then verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. This now... Verse 40, I've got a hustle. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And so we have this weird moment where Philip is there, and then he's not there. This is before uh, Scotty beamed up Captain Kirk to the Starship Enterprise. I don't got time to explain it. I got to wrap up here. <laughs> Pastor Tyler will be back on Tuesday. You can ask him. A couple things. Let's wrap this up this morning. What's the big deal here? God's been preparing a man. God's also been preparing another person. And God brings those two together, and a life is changed. A couple things here. Philip is continuing the ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter 24, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's walking along the road, and he sees these men who are discussing things from the Old Testament. Jesus, like Philip says, what are you discussing? And they're confused because they've been following Jesus, but then he's gone from them, and they didn't understand. And so Luke chapter 24, verse 27 says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them meaning Jesus explained to them all the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Philip, here in Acts chapter 8, is simply continuing the ministry that Jesus began. We continue to explain the scriptures today. Then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, it's the Great Commission saying, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Philip is continuing the ministry of Jesus. We're commanded by Jesus to teach people, to disciple people, to baptize people. i got a lot of things to say there, but i got to finish up. So let me conclude this morning, and let me just ask us a couple questions. And Andy's going to come up, and we're going to finish out. If we're going to live on mission today, if we're going to live on mission in the neighborhoods and at our work and where we do business and in relationship with other people, what can we learn from Philip? Can I ask us three questions this morning? Number one, do I love people like Philip loved people? Do I love people like Philip loved people? You didn't see this in the passage today, but in Acts chapter 6, we first encounter Philip, and Philip is asked by the apostles to serve widows. And so Philip in Acts chapter 6 is loving on widows. Before Philip is a great leader, he's a great servant. Acts chapter 8, he's down in Samaria 
He's loving on the Samaritans. What we didn't say is that there's been a thousand years of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. But just like Jesus, who met the woman at the well, who was also a Samaritan, Jesus loved the Samaritans. Philip loved the Samaritans. And then we see in this passage, Philip loved the Ethiopian. Philip loved the Ethiopian, the first African convert. Philip genuinely loved people. He cares for the Ethiopian. Unlike Jonah, who unwillingly went to Nineveh, Philip willingly goes to people unlike him. There's one thing that makes a good missionary. There's one thing that makes a good missionary, a good pastor, a good uh, consultant, a good actor who lives missionally. What is that? A love for people. Who's hard to love in your life? Somebody with a different political view, somebody with a different race, somebody of a different socioeconomic class, somebody who doesn't work in your industry. Who's hard for you to love? I've got some other things to say there, but let me ask a second question. Number two, am I led by the Spirit? Am I led by the Spirit? This passage is teaching us to be daily led by the Spirit. The whole chapter, as a matter of fact, is about the Spirit's work in us. The entire book of Acts, by the way, is about the work, the acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 says we're going to be empowered to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 6, Philip and Stephen are chosen as leaders. The criteria, to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, we're seeing what it looks like to be filled by the Spirit. Hearing from God, obeying the Holy Spirit, and going. Is there somebody across the street that you need to go to? Is there a hall you need to walk across at work? Is there a phone call you need to make to an old friend? A missional church is made up of individual believers who listen to the Holy Spirit and obey God and live missionally. Are you open to the Spirit's leadership in your life? Last question, and let me close. Can you lead people to Jesus from the Scriptures? Can you lead people to Jesus from the Scriptures? There may be times in your life you're like, I I gotta, a lot of you guys call often. I gotta call a pastor. I gotta call an elder and ask him. I don't understand this. How do I explain this? Some of you guys come and sit in our office and say, can you help me understand this as I'm encountering this at work? And we literally walk through the scriptures together. That's also one of the reasons why today after the service, we have books at a table and we say, if you have questions, if people in your life have questions, these are books that we recommend. But I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to lead people to Jesus from the scriptures. I want to put those those seven verses that I just explained. Somebody asked me recently, sitting on the front row, you you fly through these scriptures sometimes. Can you put them on the screen? There they are. You can write them down. That's uh, Romans 6.8. It's not 6.8. It's actually Romans 6.23. I made a mistake in my preparation. That's a simple gospel. Philip's approach was to ask questions, one of the most effective ways to engage in gospel conversations. Philip said, do you know what you're reading? Philip knew the Bible well enough to get from Isaiah to Jesus. Now, let me close out. Um, Yesterday, I was at my son's last basketball game of the season. And after after the game, I went up to the coach, uh, who's a good friend, and I said, coach, it's amazing. It's amazing the difference between today and the first day. (laughs) The first day, these guys didn't even know how many guys were playing on the court. The first day, they didn't know the difference between a guard and a center and a forward. The first day, these guys didn't know anything. Today, this is amazing. The change is drastic. And the coach said, it's amazing 
what can happen with a little bit of practice. <laughs> That's the same with evangelism. A little bit of practice. A little bit of practice, it becomes a little more natural. And that's what we've been pressing towards in this series. I've got an illustration I want to open up the message with next week and challenge us because I'm confident some of us are sitting here today and we're skeptical about whether even we should share our faith with other people. And I want to challenge us next week as we open up the message. But then let me close today and say this. Maybe you're here today and maybe you have questions about God. And that's God's grace towards you and to you. And maybe you came today, and maybe I'm your Philip. You came to hear the very clear gospel message. You came to hear about Jesus. And maybe today, God brought you here to place your faith and your trust in him. Would you do that today? Would you not delay? Would you place your faith and your trust in Jesus and who he is and what he's done on your behalf to save you? There's nothing magical or mystical about that. We don't make you say anything you don't want to say. Stand on stage, do anything you don't want to do. It's just a moment like Amanda where you come before the Lord and you say, God, I know who I am before you today. I trust you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you with my life. I turn from my sin and I'll walk with you the rest of the days of my life. Have you ever done that? I want to encourage you to do that today. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing one last song and we'll be done today. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that You've given us a very clear message of salvation. You died. You were buried. You rose again on our behalf for our sins. You admitted guilt, not your own guilt, but our guilt. You took our guilt on our behalf. Today, Jesus, we admit that the life of joy and peace and satisfaction, God, everything we've been pursuing that doesn't accomplish all of those things, we find in you. And I pray if there are people here in this auditorium this morning who have never trusted their life to you, God, I pray this would be the moment that it happens. It would be the moment that you can say to them, to everyone who called on my name, I give you the right to become a child of God. God, for the rest of us here, God, let us be faithful. Let us listen and be led by the Holy Spirit today, this week, every day. Let us be available to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.